You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Hello and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Um, We are here to talk about season two of Doctor Who. So you may have heard our season one episode, which went online about two months ago, just under two months, I think. Um, And back with me, I have Greg. Hello again. And I have Jimmy. Hi, it's good to be back. Um, It's good to have both of you back to sort of carry on from the season season one episode we did because i enjoyed doing that one and it was sort of it's nice to have a bit of continuity through to this one as well um so let's let's jump straight in with a bit of a question uh your favorite story serial from season two uh greg you go first my personal favorite has always been the time meddler um which is i think interesting because it's very unlike the rest of the season in many ways, but it's, um, I'll talk about this more when we get to it, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's like the, the first episode of Doctor Who, the first story of Doctor Who, that's really a Doctor Who story in the way that we think of them. Um, because it's the first one where William Hartnell's the only member of the regular cast that's back and it's, it's so well paced. It's so well done. It, it has revelations in it that completely upend the Doctor Who universe as we knew it at the time. And it's a great, essentially, first story for Stephen. So, yeah, one of my favorites in the whole run of Doctor Who, but especially in this season. A absolutely great story. I'd agree. Uh, Jimmy, what's yours? Yeah, I've got to say the same. The Time Meddler is my favourite TV first Doctor story of all. So, yeah, obviously also of the season. So um, since you've already said that, I'll also say my runner-up is probably The Crusade. Uh, I'm going to make it three for three and say The Time Meddler as well. It's an absolutely excellent piece of television. Um, But because of the nature of how we're going to do this, we'll get to The Time Meddler last because it's the last story of the season. in that case, let us begin at um, Planet of Giants, which is an interesting one. Um, it's it's a very slow story, despite the fact that it had an episode cut out of it. Um, Greg, what are your thoughts on Planet of Giants? There's a couple of examples of stories like this in the season where the ambition of the story far exceeded the achievement of the story. And Planet of Giants is definitely an example of this. Um, it, it's a great idea, right, to do the um, idea of everyone's shrunk. You know, the 
the, the planet of giants. And that's, first of all, treated as a revelation that they've been shrunk down to a, a small size when it's very clear that that's what's going on pretty much from minute one. Um, I like what they try to do with the plot. I mean, I like how there's this, this story going on that they have no direct interaction with, but that they still manage to stop a, a poisoning plot. Um, I like certain visual elements of it. The, the cliffhanger, which is just uh, shot in probably someone's kitchen or maybe the BBC canteen, who knows, of, of a, a drain plug being taken out and the water swirling down the drain. That's actually a really fun and inventive cliffhanger. But the problem with this story is that really nothing happens. It's incredibly slow-paced. Like you just said, the... The story was cut down from four episodes, and it feels like it could lose at least another episode on top of that. And it has one of my least favorite tropes in terms of a character, in this case Barbara, having something bad happen to her that's going to impact her companions, her, her, her fellow travelers, and just not telling anyone about it for absolutely no discernible reason. Um... Now, I understand this was not intended to be a quote-unquote season premiere, and back then that probably wasn't even a concept that was really dealt with. But yeah, as a way to start the season, this is unfortunately not very inspiring. And it's it, it's a shame, really, that uh, the second season kind of starts with a whimper, really. It, um, it is very ambitious, as you've said, and it looks beautiful. Visually, it's, it's a fantastic story, but... Uh, I even find the murder plot, the poison plot, to actually be quite interesting and engaging. And I think the problem is none of the regulars have anything to do with it whatsoever. Um, certainly until right towards the end when they do interact with it a little bit. But that's about it. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on it? For me, I'd say it's definitely uh, my least favourite of the season. I do still like it despite that. Um my biggest problem, I'd agree, is with Barbara's characterisation, but I can sort of excuse it because I sort of use the rationale that, you know, she's severely poisoned, it's messing up in her body, it's messing up in her brain as well. She's, you know, she's not thinking straight, so I, I would, you know, if it was a different situation, I might be annoyed at Barbara not telling him, but because of the situation it is, I can sort of just about excuse it because she's clearly not thinking straight, but... Yeah, it's a shame they don't really get much to do with the regular, well, not regular, the regular-sized part of the story, but I I do think the opposite of you on the um, number of episodes. I prefer a longer story, even if it's, you know, got, you know, bits that some people would cut out. I generally like seeing the characters, especially with a team like the first Doctor, Barbara, Ian and Susan. I love that team, and so the more interaction they have, the happier I am. So I was glad when for the DVD they did that extended version with the impersonators made by Ian Levine. I think it was a shame that the animation quality and that was pr pretty low, but I think the cast did a good job. I mean, now that we've got Stephen Noonan as the Dr. John Guiler on a release and doesn't seem as good as he did because obviously this new portrayal is even better, but I think he did an admirable job and it was interesting to see what was lost. And, I mean, some of it you could easily lose and wasn't that interesting, wasn't worth re-adding. But some of it I think, like, again, mostly character stuff, I think it was good that we got the opportunity to hear it. So, yeah, that was interesting for me. 
I think it, one one way of looking at it is, in fact, there is an extra missing episode of Doctor Who from this. We are missing, well, an episode's worth of material, aren't we, um, from across the two? I believe they filmed the lot and then sort of cut it up afterwards. Am I, am I right in thinking that, or...? Yeah, I think it was edited afterwards and it was, um, like you were saying earlier about season openings, I've seemed to recall reading somewhere behind the scenes that it was only edited because it was a season opening. If if it hadn't been for the fact that Susan departs in the next story, they would have just switched the order and put out Dalek Invasion first and then done Planet of Giants as a four-parter, but they couldn't do that because, of course, you'd not have no idea why Susan was back and so on, so... They were thinking about season opening and they wanted to get it out quick, but I think it's a shame. I would have liked to have seen the extended version, even if it wasn't as good as it could have been. I just, yeah, the more of this team you can get, the better for me. Yeah, very true. They're, they're a fantastic set of regulars and it is it is a shame that, that there's a good chunk of that missing due to a production choice as opposed to you know, missing in the way that Marco Polo or two episodes of uh, The Reign of Terror are. Um, let's let's meander on over to the next episode then, which, as you've mentioned, is The Dalek Invasion of Earth, a very, very significant story, uh, probably the most significant up until this point, I'd say. Uh, not only do you have the Daleks returning, the first returning villains in all of Doctor Who. Um, but this is the one that establishes them as a a threat that can go on and on and on, and it sort of lifts some of the limitations they had in their first story. Obviously, as well, it's also uh, the story where we lose our first regular. Uh, so quite significant. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Greg? This is in a close race with Time Meddler for my favorite story of the season. It's it's incredibly well paced, for one thing. Um, a lot of the older six-part stories, as we discussed in the last episode, aren't really intended to be viewed in totem, but this one works in that way. Um, the, the pace never lets up. There's enough incident that it never gets dull. And the world that it's set in is so incredibly grim and so terrifying. Um, you know, the, the first episode, which is basically just the, the regular characters wandering around this, this devastated part of London is, is scary. You know, do not dump bodies in the river and so forth. You know, seeing the Roboman right at the start go face down into the water. Like, it's, it, it, it's dark in a way that a lot of classic Doctor Who never was. And it, it's really impactful in that way. Um, the first cliffhanger is possibly the only effective Dalek reveal cliffhanger in the classic series um, because there's absolutely no indication that the Daleks are involved. Um, of course, the, the story is called The Dalek Invasion of Earth, but episode one isn't. So, you know, if you're watching it, you have no idea. Now, I know at the time they'd already publicized that the Daleks were coming back, so it you know, wasn't as much of a surprise, but just in terms of the drama of the show, that's really effective. Um, it's a great story for all the regulars. All four of them get significant chunks of the plot, which is unfortunately uncommon in this era. And as you said, it's the final story with Susan. And 
even though her involvement in the first few episodes isn't as great, like she actually builds a believable relationship with David. Um, as with a lot of these departures, it's a little much to accept that in this short amount of time, she's decided that, or she's at least considering spending the rest of her life with him in this one place. Um, and of course, at this time, we don't know anything about Time Lords, so we don't know what her lifespan is. We don't know, you know, what sort of complications are there that would later be explored in novels and on audio. Um, but yeah, that final scene of the Doctor deciding to let her go is heartbreaking, and it's one of William Hartnell's best performances in the role. It's one of the most memorable uh, monologues in the history of the show. It was brought back to open the Five Doctors. This is this is excellent. This is fantastic television i'd agree it's especially what you say about the pacing is it really does just keep going solidly through six episodes and um it's obviously got adapted into a film as the first dalek story did and when we did an episode about the films uh, a few weeks ago we sort of agreed that generally invasion earth was the better one I think it's quite heavily down to the fact that the source material is quite a bit stronger in this case. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I definitely love this story, and I think it really does a good job of handling all the regulars well, and um, it's certainly an interesting take on the Daleks, because in the previous story, you know, there was no formula of this is what the Daleks are, whereas this story sort of develops it a bit more, because as I said in our previous podcast on the first season... The Daleks weren't quite their typical Dalek selves in it, like the way they let them have the um, the cure for the radiation and so on, whereas in this story, the formula's sort of finally developed and the Daleks really feel like proper Daleks. And so that works well for me. And, yeah, Susan's relationship with uh, David is handled really well. And I, I think despite the small amount of time, I think it gets... It really feels a bit more believable than some of the companion departure marriages. I think, yeah, it really works well. And I love that it's led to the eighth Doctor audios where Susan comes back. I think those are some of the best stuff Big Finish has ever done. And they really help this story in retrospect seem even more important because you've got that development of Susan and her place in this new world and this terrible part of history where the Daleks have invaded. And yeah, I think it works really well at solidifying the relationship. And the other thing I like about this story, particularly is on the DVD, the, um, the enhanced special effects, they do such a good job of making this story look better. Like it's, um, it's only a few subtle little things like the shot of the power station and the Dalek sources looking just like they did in the 2005 Christopher Eccleston season, except black and white. And I think it really helped sell the story for, um, you know, if you're showing it to someone else or who's not so into Doctor Who, it gets past the sort of bad special effects reputation, which is the only thing that really lets down this story. And so to have that option to do away with them is really nice for me. And I, I do think it's interesting that you mentioned sort of how Big Finish have sort of continued Susan's story and and the novels as well, of course. Um, we've, we've seen sort of a good chunk of Susan's life after this and it kind of sticks with the 
the very grim, downbeat nature of this story, Susan doesn't really have a happy life. Um, okay, spoilers here for a significant bit of Big Finish. Um, you know, her, her son is killed, uh, her husband dies fairly young, and then she gets shipped off to go and fight in the Time War. It's even though this ending is is quite an optimistic ending at the end of the story it, it's very sort of um you know she can go and create a life and put down roots and all that kind of thing actually it doesn't really come to pass and her her life after her grandfather leaves her is particularly unpleasant and it's quite a long time before he pops in to check that she's okay um, so there is something sort of quite odd about that, um, but it's it, it's a thoroughly good story. Um, it, it really does sort of let the potential of the Daleks loose in ways that the first story didn't, um, and yeah, it's thoroughly enjoyable. Let's move ourselves on to the rescue now. In some ways, I think it's fair to look at the rescue as really the first story of the second season um everything filmed up to the end of dalek invasion was recorded as part of the first season and then held over but the rescue gives us a different view of the doctor it gives us the introduction of a new companion it's it's doctor who's first beginning of season story really um you know assuming we don't count an unearthly child um, I quite like the rescue. It's it, it's a good sort of snappy little two-parter that isn't too heavy on incident, but does exactly what it needs to do. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Greg? Yeah, the word I'd use is workmanlike. It's there basically just to introduce Vicky to us, and it does that very well. Um, I like that actual format. I like that idea of taking the first story with a new companion and basically making it about them and having the story turn around them and having it be about their how they perceive the Doctor and, and other companions and their relationships and so forth. And that's exactly what happens here. Um, some companion introductions in the future kind of follow this blueprint and they work really well. Some in the future do not and just kind of throw a new character at us and say, here they are. Um, I think Maureen O'Brien is really good in this. Like Vicky immediately, you can see that she's intended to be the replacement for Susan, you know, the younger character that the doctor can be grandfatherly toward, but she is a different character. And as the season goes on, we'll see that she's much more, I guess the word would be level-headed. And, and a lot of that just comes down in, into the writing. And it's a little bit sad that, you know, again, one of Caroline Ford's issues with the show is that she was reduced to screaming so much. And then immediately, once they get a new companion character in to essentially take her role, they rip up the screaming almost entirely and throw it away. As a story, there's not much to the rescue. It's a mystery plot. But since there's literally only one guest character except for the the ones we see at the very end the mystery of who coquillion is is pretty obvious but again that's not really the point of the story that's just there to give the characters something to do while they meet vicky and in that sense it works really well 
I think you're absolutely right. Um, uh, and it, it's it's not a story that's there for the plot. It's not a story that's there for an incident. It, it exists purely to bring this group of characters together and very quickly actually establish the relationship they're going to have. As you say, she's very clearly Susan's replacement character immediately. As soon as she meets the Doctor, you, right, that's it. They're a perfect fit. They're going to be a good team. Uh, but I like the bit at the end where they sort of wait around and give Vicky the choice to travel with them. It's a lovely little scene where sort of the Doctor Ian and Barbara discuss, you know, what we're going to do with this young orphan that that we're left with. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on it? I love this story. I think it does a really good job keeping the pace with only having two episodes and introducing Vicky and making her so different to Susan just straight from the offset. She fits into that sort of slot on the team, as it were, but she's a very different character. I remember reading once that in an interview, Maureen O'Brien was talking about how the producers or the directors at the time when she came in, they wanted her to dye her hair black to look like Susan. And she just said, no, stuff you. If you want to do that, just get Carol back. And so I'm so glad she stood up for herself and didn't let herself just become a Susan clone, as it were. And yeah, really became her own unique character. And I think she gets a great start. I love the whole dynamic of her having the pet and Barbara's killed it thinking it was threatening her and just the way she doesn't trust Barbara it's I think they handle a character really well in this story she she's clearly so traumatized by what's happened the whole ship crashed everyone's dead except her and Bennett and she's you know thinking this coquillion that's not really you know not really a alien she thinks she's under hostage and she can't go anywhere and like she plays it so well that she's like traumatized and in denial like the whole part about I don't want to leave. I don't care if I ever leave and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I think it's a brilliant character piece for her, a brilliant introduction for her. And I love the way the doctor just is instantly like, oh, new grandchild. He's just so happy to befriend her. And the way he talks her down and makes her accept that Barbara wasn't being vindictive, whatever. She didn't intend to kill her pet. And yeah, I think the whole team just has a really great dynamic straight away. I love Susan and I love her stories, but I think Vicky was such a great addition to the show and I'm glad that it got the chance to, you know, try introducing a new companion as early as it did because if if Susan had stayed and not left until, say, when Vicky would, you know, then Barbara and Ian's departure would be the first companion departure and I think it would be really hard to handle replacing both of them at once. I mean, it was anyway, but I'm glad the show got the chance to experiment with it early and they did an absolutely brilliant job with Vicky. I'm really happy with the way she worked out. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, it's a case of them getting just pretty much everything right about this transition of regulars, uh, which, you know, from a production team point of view, must have been sort of pretty difficult and, you know, worrying even at the time. But, um, Thankfully, sort of everybody kind of accepted Vicky almost immediately, and I think, you know, she's such a well-written character, and the performance is excellent. I can understand why they did. Um, I'm just going to sort of revisit. You mentioned it briefly. The scene where Barbara shoots uh, Sandy, the sort of the the pet, Vicky's pet. It's a bit of an odd scene, actually. Barbara grabs a gun and just shoots it 
um, which is perhaps a little out of character maybe. I don't know if this scene kind of surprises either as you as it as much as it does me. But yeah, I just find it quite odd. Do either of you want to come in on that? I think it really works well because at this point in the show's history, you know, they're all these later stories you get in the books and the audios where there's, you know, good alien races or stuff that they encounter. But at this stage on TV, every sort of alien they've encountered has been hostile. So, I mean, of course, Barbara's going to react differently than we'd expect because, you know, she's only ever met these bad and threatening aliens other than the Doctor and Susan who she, you know, they know they're from the future or whatever. They don't know they're alien as such. And so she's concerned for her own safety and for Vicky's safety. And so she just jumps to defend her. And I think that's, you know, perfectly believable for me at, at, based on what had been on TV. It's it's certainly a bit of a shock that, you know, she does it. But, hey, she's thinking she's defending herself and defending Vicky. And she, you know, does what she feels she has to. And for me, that works. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say. Um the first season, as we talked about, is incredibly dark in places. And again, we, we, we see that travel in the TARDIS at this point in the show is, is not fun. Um, there's a lot of danger. Lives are at risk. The Doctor could certainly be indiscriminately violent at this point in the show. Ian is you know ready to punch people at the drop of a hat. So... I don't think it's unreasonable at all that, you know, Barbara seeing what looks like a, a threatening alien would react that way um, because the the show, you know, did not have the aversion to weaponry that it does in the modern era. And I, I believe it. it. It didn't take me. I mean, it take me it took me aback as a fan of Doctor Who knowing the whole show like, oh, wow, look at that. But in terms of just what we've seen up until this point, no, I, did, I didn't find it that surprising, honestly. Ah, fair enough. Um, it, it's like I say, it's just always as a scene. I've always felt as though it sort of comes out of nowhere, and Barbara to sort of shoot before asking questions has always struck me as a little bit out of character. But again, you know, she thought she was in danger, and Vicky was in danger, and was doing the right thing. Yeah. Let's move on to the Romans. Um, Doctor Who's first comedy. Um, I, I think it's fair to say it, it's an out-and-out out comedy, really. The whole story is uh, very sort of carry-on film-inspired. Um, always sort of find how how far the comedy in this one goes and a bit strange and how it juxtaposes a lot of the threat that we've had in previous stories. There are comedy deaths in this story. It, it's It's very strange and very... You know, a lot of it is very dark humour in places, but I I do find it to be very enjoyable and Hartnell's clearly having a great time and it, it's it's a nice little experiment, I think, and I think it's an experiment that, that pays off. Uh, what do you think of it, Greg? I enjoy this story a lot. I do enjoy the humour of it quite a bit. There's a couple of things that jump out at me about it. Um, number one is the way that it starts. The show at this time was, again, I keep coming back to this point, but it's really hitting on you know more realism in terms of what it's like to travel. And we have a situation where they land, they find an abandoned Roman villa, and they decide, well, you know what? We're just going to stay here for a while. And after the, the fade out and fade back in at the beginning, we find out they've been there for a few weeks. And 
I like that Vicky's getting bored because this is her first trip in the TARDIS. And, you know, they've probably told her all these stories about the things they've seen, the, the, the aliens they've battled. And now they're just hanging out at this house for weeks at a time, which for the Dr. Ian and Barbara, you can completely understand with everything they've been to. But you know, Vicky is, 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 is aching to have an adventure of her own. Another thing that I find odd about it is it's so overtly comedic, but the segment with Ian is not. That's taken much more seriously. He's sold into slavery. He's shown to be miserable. Everyone else is in the middle of this farcical sex comedy. It, it's, it's an odd tonal choice for sure. It doesn't ruin the story for me or anything like that, but it did jump out at me. And I also just absolutely love the conclusion. I love all the characters being in one place and running back and forth and that Scooby-Doo thing of almost, almost encountering one another, but not quite. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I agree. Yeah. And it's, I think you've boiled it down perfectly actually by calling it this farcical sex comedy. That's completely what it is. Um, it's one thing that I've always found quite strange about it is obviously the keys of marinus in the first season um it features some quite you know very grim sexual threat towards barbara pretty much the same situation in the romans is played completely for laughs which i don't imagine any producer would dream of doing now but um it's within the sort of tone of the story within what's going on it is pretty grim, it's pretty horrible, but it is it is played comedically. It's it's an odd mishmash of tones, I agree. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the Romans? For me, it's such a great story. I'd say either it or the Crusade are my next favourite of the season after the Time Meddler, and I think it really handles the atmosphere well. I mean, it is largely quite a comedy, and especially the Doctor and Vicky's part, and the way they have so much fun getting involved with history. Oh, I think I poisoned Nero and so on. Uh, it's, yeah, I, it's really such a great story. But the contrast, as you said, with um, Ian, it, it, the situations he goes through is quite horrible. And I'd argue Barbara too. I mean, the con the the whole chase scene where Nero's are coming after her for, you know, sex, she, it's... Um, the script and the directing and that, yeah, definitely treats it more as a comedy. But, I mean, as an actress playing the scene, um, Jacqueline Hill, she's clearly playing it very similar to how she did in Keys of Maris. She's horrified. She doesn't want this to happen to her. And, I mean, yeah, she runs around and runs away. But, I mean, what else is she going to do? Just stand there and let it happen. She, I, I'd argue she plays it really well and she goes against the comedy atmosphere that maybe the directors or producers, writers, whatever we're going for. I'd argue she plays against that and the scene, yeah, I mean, they're attempting to be funny, but it's horrifying what's going to happen to her if she doesn't get away. And Jacqueline Hill really plays it well. I think that, yeah, she does convey the shock or horror of it to me. But yeah, other than that part, it is largely a comedy and I think it works really well as a comedy for the most part. I, I love the whole bit at the start where um, when one of them is saying, Barbara's saying something to Ian, <laughs> the doctor's like, oh, she's calling you, but she was just correcting his pronunciation because he always gets the name wrong. I mean, they have so many little funny moments and 
the characterization for Vicky being bored by what's going on and then eventually getting into these situations and sort of discovering what it's like to be a time traveler with the Doctor. I think it's, yeah, it's a brilliant first adventure for her because she, you know, she clearly sort of thinks they've been exaggerating what their trips are like and then she gets caught up in one and it's like, oh, she learns in the end. And so, yeah, I think it's great when they get back together at the end and Barbara and, sorry, not Barbara, Vicky and the Doctor clearly don't believe Barbara and Ian have been doing anything except laying around having fun the whole time. And <laughs> it's, it's obviously pretty bad for Barbara and Ian to not be believed. But, I mean, the scenes earlier with them in the villa after um, the Doctor and Vicky have gone are just so brilliant. I love the dynamic they have. And it's clearly, I think, the first big on-screen evidence of the relationship they eventually did go on to have in audios, comics, books, and so on. I think those scenes with them just playing around, having fun, relaxing, it's so good to see the team getting the chance to do that, which they don't normally do. And uh, yeah, as someone who loves the relationship between them, I think it's, yeah, such a brilliant part of the story that they got the chance to do that. And the jokes about the fridge and all that, it's, oh, it's just such lovely scenes for me. And yeah, I'm. they could have done a whole story of that and I'd have been happy, but no, they really did well with Barbara and Ian and especially later on, Ian's determination to get back to Barbara and when they finally do, it's, yeah, I love this story. It really handles the relationship and the dynamic really well for me. It, uh, yeah, I agree. Under the comedy, there is some really sort of strong character stuff, development and relationship drama and, Again, it does a very good job of continuing the hard work of the rescue in establishing Vicky. Um, let's move on to the web planet then, <laughs> which uh, this one's going to be interesting. I don't think any of us are its greatest fan. So, um, yeah, let's hear what you've got to say, Greg. So much like Planet of Giants... I admire the ambition here. I think the idea of we're going to have a story where the only humanoid characters are the regulars, we're going to present a completely alien society, we're going to have alien characters that we can't even communicate with. Like, this is all very heady, science fiction, ambitious exactly the kind of thing that Doctor Who was and should always be doing. And it doesn't work at all. It doesn't come off. Nothing about this story functions properly. The 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 Zarbi look ridiculous. The the Monoptero look pretty good when they're flying around the first time, and then you see it happen like six or seven more times, and it's just like, okay, they're very clearly on wires. Um the idea that, oh, you've got the Monoptera, this race of butterflies, and oh, you have you have on the same planet living underground is a race of grubs, and they're the Optera, and oh my god, that one is the larval form of the other. What a what a shock. Um, you've got a villain that's only a disembodied voice that can basically only communicate with the doctor if he sits in a chair and has a thing on his head. It it's it's six episodes long it doesn't need to be six episodes long it doesn't need to be two episodes long there's just so 
so so much time taken up and so little happening. And again, I, I don't I don't fault them for trying it, but at the same time, given the restrictions they were under and given the fact that they'd already been making this show for a year and a half, at some point someone should have looked at that script and said, there is just absolutely no way we can pull this off. I think you're right, and it's I I completely admire the effort. I really do. I, I it's I'm glad this story exists. I, I mean, it's it, it's pure insomnia cure. Um, it's a very very dull six parts, but the amount of effort that went into it, the amount of innovation, the ideas, and yeah, it just. It really doesn't all come together, and it was just a little bit too outside. It wasn't even a little bit outside what was achievable. It was miles outside of what was achievable. But um, I'd, I'd rather have it than not, I think it's fair to say. And I've always sort of imagined what would this story be like if it was missing? You know, imagine we only had the audio um, to work with, and... You know, would it have some kind of odd legendary status? Would would it be one of those stories where everyone goes, oh, you really need the visuals, but I bet it was absolutely stunning and I bet it was incredible. And with a select few um, sort of still images and photographs, that myth could probably be kept alive quite easily. Um, what are your thoughts on the Web Planet, Jimmy? It's definitely one of the poorer stories of this era, but I don't think I dislike it quite as much as you guys. I um, I can certainly see that it would need to be a bit shorter. I think most stories that are long and people say are too long, I say keep it that long. I love the characterisation stuff, but of course, for this story, they were understandably trying to focus on all the aliens they'd created, and so they got a lot of material that could have quite easily been cut, whereas the regulars... There wasn't that much to cut. So for me, I think if if only they could have made it really brilliant, all they would have needed to do is completely cut the opera because they were very silly and not very well handled, put a bit more budget on this story of the season for the costumes and trim it down to three or four episodes. And I think you'd have had a pretty decent classic on your hands. But yeah, as it stands, definitely not. Definitely one of the poorer ones of the season. But it still has some lovely moments for me, like... I love when Barbara's being dragged along by her bracelet, how they have her nearly fall into the water that they've shown is acidic and they really racket the tension up as she's slowly heading towards it. And again, the with the bracelet, with her talking to Vicky about how, oh yeah, Nero gave it to me and them finally realising obviously off screen what happened in the Romans is a lovely little moment that could have been explored more. And um also, the um, also with Vicky and Barbara, I love this scene they have where she's trying to get Vicky to take the penicillin and Vicky is like, what is this primitive bullshit? <laughs> Barbara's, like, worried about Vicky wanting her to feel better and Vicky's just, oh, I don't trust this stuff. You didn't have this in my time. What is all this? And Barbara just having to gradually calm her down and then making the joke about, or I'll have to put on my mask and do a rain dance to make you better It's because I'm such a primitive. The dynamic between them in that scene was really beautiful and that scene is definitely my favourite part of the story. I think it worked really well, again, establishing Vicky's dynamic and how she's different to Susan and how her dynamic with Barbara and Ian is different and, you know, more friends rather than 
as Susan was sort of still in the shadow of them as having been their student in the past, whereas this relationship is a bit more equal. And, yeah, I think that worked really well. And the other thing I liked with the Animus is, I agree, it was a bit silly that it could only communicate when they were in that hair dryer, as the Doctor called it, but I think the Animus was quite portrayed well. I think the giant pulsating mass in the centre of the um, caverns was a pretty good visual for, for the Yigra, and the voice is definitely creepy, the whole, what I, what is his I am, what you are, I will become. I think the voice was one of the best villain voices of the era. I think they definitely conveyed the alienness well for me, and it was sad that the visual effects didn't live up to it in other places, but that voice was definitely good, and so, yeah, for me, there's enough good stuff in the story that it was worth it overall, but... Yeah, I can definitely see how it's one of the poorer of the season or the poorer of the entire first Doctor era, but it's got enough in it that I like that I still enjoy it. But yeah, it's difficult to get through, especially the noises, the beep, 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 all the time. And well, yeah, that's frustrating. But yeah, I can still push through it and enjoy what's in there to be enjoyed. So for me, it's not a complete waste. By the way, if you haven't seen the DVD trailer for The Web Planet, Look it up on YouTube because it makes this look like the most dramatic and exciting story in Doctor Who history, and it is a fantastic piece of editing. Oh, I need to find this now. This sounds excellent. Um, I think the the biggest problem with the Web Planet, or perhaps the source of a lot of the problems with the Web Planet, are they honestly were really trying to have a go at something that could match the Daleks. They were trying to create aliens and monsters that would have the same sort of significant impact that the Daleks had had. And it's unfortunately just, it's such a misfire. Was anybody ever going to look at the Optra and go, they're the new Daleks. We want to see more of them in Doctor Who. Um... Let's move ourselves on to a, a quite dark and brutal story, I think. Uh, the Crusade is one of the perhaps more grim historicals, or it's certainly a sign that historicals are heading in a more grim direction. I think the most grim historical comes in Season 3, which no doubt we'll talk about when we get there. But, um, yeah, the Crusade, It's I, I've found it... I've always found it to be quite an interesting beast, really, because it's it's definitely a step into darker territory. Uh, you've you've still got some elements of the sort of comedic tone of the Romans in there as well, though. But it's definitely a very very different kind of thing. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts? It's a really really good story. Um, the script and the performances, those two things set this apart from a lot of other Doctor Who of the era. The script is lyrical, it's poetic, it's been famously pointed out that some of the lines are consciously written in iambic pentameter. Um, the performances across the board are fantastic. I mean, you have Julian Glover, who you know needs no introduction, someone who's been headlining Hollywood movies. You've got Gene Marsh, who 
of course, would appear as Sarah Kingdom in season three, but is is fantastic here as well. They they both put just amazing emotion into their performances. It really draws a great performance out of William Hartnell against them. So fantastic in that sense. Um, the production is also quite lush, as, as with all of the historical stories, being having access to the, the BBC costume department really enables everything to look fantastic. It's it's a it's a really good piece of drama. Now it's it's something where it's it's a shame that that this is where we're missing two episodes and not say the web planet, because it would be fantastic to see those two missing episodes. And I watched the loose cannon reconstructions for this, and that's a, a pretty good substitute. But um, yeah, just just to see those visuals and to actually see those performances captured on on film would be very exciting. The only downside to the story is that. Well, we've got a story that's set in the Middle East and all of the characters from there are played by white people in various degrees of brown face, but that's how things were made back then, and I don't think it's really worth dwelling on, but it is something where if you watch it as a modern viewer, especially Saladin, it does make you say, ugh, that's a little little questionable, but apart from that, though, I mean, it, it's, there's really, they don't put a foot wrong here. Like, this is one of the best Doctor Who historicals. It's, I mean, the brown face thing. It, it it is very very unfortunate, and um, you know, it's often sort of cited as the reason that this has never been animated for DVD or Blu-ray, um, because making it in the sixties, you can squint and, as you say, you know, go, well, that's how they did things. How do you animate it? How, it? It is sort of a bit of a a bit of a quandary, but I do hope that we will somehow be able to experience this story you know in its entirety um in another way in a better way than the fantastic reconstruction as you've mentioned sometime soon uh jimmy your thoughts on it for me i definitely agree about the blackface thing being bad but i think one thing that um counter to that uh, for the 60s characterization wise they handle it rather well. I mean, there's good people and bad people on both the Christian and Muslim sides, like, and not all the good people are purely good and not all the bad people are purely bad, except for Alec here, who is purely bad. But anyway, um, like, Richard is, you know, sulky and grumpy in the first episode when he's lost his team of people and, you know, your friend can rot in Saladin's prison till her hair goes grey for all I care and stuff like that. Like, he's not the ooh, such a good chivalric, pure knight that, you know, some stories of the 60s could quite easily portray him as. And Saladin, for instance, is quite rational and reasonable. Like, when is proposing all these wild and horrible punishments for Barbara, he's like, well, what do you think? And she's like, well, it sounds like punishment for a fool. And he's like, yeah, and you're the fool, aren't you, Elakir? <laughs> sort of thing. And so I think they handled really well the whole good and evil on both sides and both sides not being purely one or the other. I mean... There's also Haroon and his daughters who are some brilliant guest characters and they get some brilliant stuff, like especially when he gives Barbara the knife and he's like, you know, don't let her go to a fate worse than death. If they come after you, just kill her. And I mean, it's horrifying, but it's really powerful how much he cares about his family because, again, this is, you know, a story made in the 60s and set in the Middle Ages. He could have, They could have very easily had him be, you know don't let my daughter get dishonoured, you know, sort of thing. But it's he, that's not his worry. His worry is about her safety. He cares about her and doesn't want her to be hurt and to endure this. And so I think characterisation-wise, 
um, yeah, the casting of white people was a bad idea, but writing-wise, I think they handled the different uh, religions and the different cultures surprisingly well for a story in the 60s. And um, on the missing episode thing, the one good thing about this story missing some is it's such a shame it was this story. Like, this whole season, lots of good stories, lots of poorer stories, and but one of the best gets the cuts. And it's really disappointing and unfortunate, but one good thing comes of it, which is on the DVD and the video, they, instead of doing a reconstruction or whatever, they did this thing for the video that got put on the DVD as an extra, and they have Ian coming back and performing to camera, talking to someone about the adventures he had as an old man and reflecting on his youth. And William Russell does amazing with it. It's like, it's only about five or five or six minutes long, but you see Ian in his old age and reminiscing about his time with the doctor and it doesn't cover everything that happened in missing episodes, but it does some brilliant character stuff with him. It's great to see him back. And for watching the story on a rewatch, I mean, I personally would prefer to watch the whole thing and listen to the audio of the missing episodes, but it covers everything adequately and, yeah, it does great things with his character. So that was one good thing to come out of that. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember watching that video when it came out, when I was, you know, quite young at the time and thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's really good, actually, that he's he's playing Ian again, even if it only is in these sort of very short excerpts. Um, excellent story, though. Yeah, it it really is, and it's... It's one that I really do wish uh, we were able to sort of catch in its entirety. But, um, you know, the the further on we go with these season-by-season episodes, the more we're going to have to start bemoaning episodes that that are missing that we'll, you know, potentially probably even never get to see. Let's move on to um, another sort of interesting experimental perhaps story um i find that the space museum is one that i tend to like a little bit more than others um but that first episode is very very good the the three that follow it are perhaps less so um greg what do you think of it well you hit the nail on the head right there there's one brilliant episode to start and then there's Three other episodes. Um, the first episode is excellent. It's one of the best single episodes the show ever did. It sets up this fantastic mystery where the doctor and his companions exist in this place and can see things but aren't actually there. They're like ghosts. And the explanation for what's going on is a little techno babbly, but it makes sense in the context of the story. The sight of them being lined up as museum exhibits is great. The fact that the museum has a Dalek on display is really interesting and makes you wonder, like, well, what kind of a place can this be if it's, you know, got a, a, a Dalek? Um, how, how powerful must the people who made this museum have been? Um, it, it's really setting up for something deeply, deeply interesting. You know, you, you watch that first episode and you're thinking, man, like, where is this going to go? Like, this this is exciting. This is, this is new. And then you get three episodes of rebels fighting against an oppressive government and a bunch of 
unmemorable bureaucratic characters and again not a whole lot really happens it's definitely a story where there's just a lot of movement back and forth from place to place capturing and recapturing there's a couple of really fun moments in there the doctor hiding inside the dalek shell and doing the voice is really fun when the doctor's being interrogated and they project his thoughts on the monitor and he's just thinking about walruses that's great but talk about a story that's just a disappointment after episode one i the the only comparable one to this is the mind robber where episode one is just its own thing and there the remaining episodes are fortunately much more enjoyable than these this is this is with web planet my least favorite of the of the season I was terrified that for a moment there you were going to say the last four episodes of The Mind Robber weren't very good. Um, I love The Mind Robber. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, it's a very, 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 very good first episode. It, it's it's very high concept. It's very strange. It's, it's putting the regulars in a position where, you know, even the Doctor doesn't really know what's going on for a lot of it. He figures it out, but for a good chunk of it, there's a real mystery there that that isn't in a lot of other stories. Um, it, it's intriguing. It's, you know, we've mentioned the first episode of Dalek Invasion of Earth. They're wandering around. They're trying to figure out what the mystery is, but it's it's not so outlandish that you've absolutely no idea where this is going to go at all. It's all oh, there's been a virus and there's destruction. There's been a big event that's happened. Whereas what's making all the strange time stuff happen in the space museum. Um, I suppose, you know, other mystery first episodes, you've got things like the sensorites as well, which is, you know, explore a spaceship and try and help a couple of characters. Remember what's been going on. It's, there's nothing quite like that first episode of Space Museum. I do quite like what comes after. It's not the strongest on plot, but um, there are some fantastic little moments, like you mentioned when the Doctor's been interrogated um, and he just conjures up all of these strange images and you've got other bits like Vicky starting a revolution. and it's There's enough fun in there to make it not a bad story, but it's by no means the strongest. Uh, Jimmy, what do you think of the Space Museum? I think it's um, quite underrated. It's obviously not that great after the first episode, but I think there's enough in it to keep it worthwhile for me. I mean, obviously the first episode, as you've both said, is amazing, really well handled, and the the sort of mystery of what's going on, it's, yeah, it's brilliant, but... Um, the rest of the story, while not as good, I think it does have some nice moments. I mean, obviously, you both mentioned the interrogation of the Doctor where he puts up the different um, images on the screen and tricks them, and I love that little bit where he's sort of, as soon as they tell him how the machine works, he gets this sort of twinkle in his eye, and then he puts up the fake images, and he's sort of having a bit of a chuckle, and it's really good to see him being so clever. And um, after that, when they try to get him ready for the exhibit... I think they play it quite well how, you know, horrible it's, you know, he's being frozen alive and all that. And when Ian comes to rescue him, it's it's just good to see Ian being so proactive. He's sort of, he's often, you know, the sort of hero of the stories, but the bit where he's like, you know, 
if you don't try to fix him, I'm going to shoot you. And it's like, that's not going to help him. Yeah, but it might be fun. I mean, that was pretty um, badass of him. And I quite like just seeing him and Barbara sort of standing up for the Doctor, like compared to the first season where they're sort of not fully trusting him. It's great to see how the relationship's dynamic has developed. And yeah, with Vicky and the leading of Revolution, I think that was some great characterisation for her too, the way she tricks the machine and it's like, okay, you still have to tell the truth, but it doesn't have to be the answer at once. And it's like, what do you want these tools for? Revolution! And yeah, she's quite quite a strong character to A, be clever enough to do it and B, have the idea and just to see lead a revolution. I think, yeah, I think the regulars get quite well characterised, which sort of makes up for the story being a bit, you know, after the first episode, a bit boring and a bit slow, but... I think that sort of makes sense too because, I mean, it's this old dying empire. They've got this museum, but the way they talk in the story about no one comes here anymore, no one cares about the past, it's it's like this dying afterthought of an empire. It's like they're not supposed to be great, strong and powerful and able to cope with all this. They, the, the fact that they're a bit crap is sort of, you know, a fundamental aspect of, you know, what's happening to them at this point in their history. They're you know, there's nothing left of them, there's no greatness there, and so I think, yeah, it doesn't make for a good story, obviously, but I think it does have a sort of logic to it. Absolutely. It's, as I say, it, I do have a soft spot for this one. Um, it's just a shame it doesn't quite live up to the the real sort of promise of that first episode, but it, it's it's by no means unenjoyable. Um, one of my favourite features of the Space Museum as well is, is it a space museum or is it the chase, I suppose? But the cliffhanger at the end that leads into the chase, which is, it must have been quite a big cliffhanger at the time because the Daleks are actively now chasing the Doctor. They've kind of gone, he's such a nuisance, we're going to track him down and we're going to kill him. Um... And and that's sort of the premise of the chase summed up in that one little scene at the end of the Space Museum. Um, but the chase itself is it's a, it's a very strange story. It, it's sort of there are hints of keys of mariness about it. We move to a new location each episode. It's full of certain Terry Nation tropes. Um, it's perhaps. You know, as other stories this season have been, a little bit over ambitious. It tries to achieve more than it's capable of. Um, it's 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 generally a bit of a strange story, and it's another significant one, obviously, because at the end, Ian and Barbara finally get home, which sort of closes off a very sort of big sort of story arc that has been running since the very first episode. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts on the chase? So this is the one that I will defend. I know it definitely has its detractors, but when I was young and I saw these for the first time, this was my favorite Hartnell story um, because of the variety of it, because of the excitement of it. It's such a a different thing from, from what Doctor Who does. And the only comparable story is The Keys of Marinus. And I mentioned The Chase when we did Marinus in the last episode, but this is basically four different Doctor Who stories into one six-parter. We've got the opening on Aridius, then we've got 
running around, you know, New York and the Mary Celeste. Then we've got the Haunted Mansion. And then we've got the segment on Mechanus. And because of that, and with the constant threat of the Daleks always showing up about five minutes after the main characters show up and pursuing them, there's an energy to it that really carries you through the six episodes. This this one feels like it's about two episodes long, despite being six. And that's a good thing. Like, it, it is incredibly well-paced. Um, the, the ideas being thrown around, not everything works, but again, because it's moving so quickly, like, if they had stayed on Iridius for four episodes, I don't think that would have been a very good Doctor Who story. But they get out of there. They move on to something else. Um, there's a couple interesting, unique things about the story, one of which is that in episode six, for a brief period of time, it's, I think, the only time in the history of the show that, the, at least the classic show, that we have four companions, like with the Doctor briefly, because not that Stephen has been formally accepted into the TARDIS crew, but when they're climbing down from the building, it's the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, Vicky, and Stephen, which is an interesting dynamic for sure. And yeah, you know, just to touch on Ian and Barbara's departure, what I love about it is the doctor's reaction. You know, it's it's a shame that you don't get a real goodbye scene with the characters saying goodbye to each other. And I do think Vicky gets a little bit shortchanged there, but the doctor is deeply hurt by their decision to leave, deeply wounded. And you can see that in Hartnell's face. And he plays it off as anger and annoyance. And now, okay, if that's what you want to do, you might end up as cinders floating in Spain, but but go do it. But you can you can see how much it 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 impacts him that they've left. And and that that's something that you really that's something that carries forward into the modern show. Where nowadays when we see companions depart, you really focus on like how it's emotionally impacted the Doctor. And this is one of the times in the classic show that they really lean into that. And it, it works so well. And then the final montage of Ian and Barbara back in the present day is just delightful. It's got this sort of French new wavy feel to it. It's it's a lot of fun. Like I I am a big fan of the chase and I will defend it to the hilt. It's yeah, it's it's a thoroughly good defence that, and it's it is a story that I like. It's a story I've always enjoyed. Um, it does have, as I said earlier, it has its faults. It is a little over ambitious in places. It's it must have been a technical nightmare to put together, and the fact that what we see on screen is so good is just sort of a testament to how much effort did go into these sort of disposable 25 minutes a week of entertainment. Um, the the one thing that... <laughs> the one thing... The one thing that really does kind of just stretch anything in this story beyond belief uh, and was excellently parodied in uh, the Bernice Summerfield story, The Grell Escape, is how unconvincing the, the robot duplicate of the Doctor is. Um, and in the Benny episode, they've got a robot duplicate of Benny that's just so obviously fake. It, it's it's completely hilarious. Um, the difference is in the Benny one, obviously, it's intentional. They tried. It was a great idea. It introduces us to the concept of Dalek duplicates, which is something that really has been run with in the TV series and in expanded media. It's a great idea. But just this first time, 
they just didn't get it quite right, unfortunately. But that's because they had no feasible way of cloning, as it were, William Hartnell with camera trickery. Um, Jimmy, your thoughts on the chase? For me, it's definitely underrated. But yeah, the quality does go up and down like a yo-yo, depending on what part of the story you're in. I think it had a great start with the time-space visualiser and them getting to see the bits of history and the cameo for the Beatles. That was quite lovely. And lots of humour in that first episode, the bit where the Doctor's whistling, humming away, and the visualiser starts making its odd noise, and Barbara's like, what's that horrible noise? And the Doctor's like, don't you talk about my singing like that? And she's like, no, Doctor, the other horrible noise. I mean, just them ribbing each other, and <laughs> that was so funny. But, um, yeah, the first episode does go downhill a bit at the end with the um, <laughs> the cliffhanger. They're obviously trying to recreate the Dalek invasion of Earth when the Dalek comes out of the Thames and shocked, surprised, how did it get there? But to have it coming out of the sand, I mean, I get that it makes sense because, you know, the sand's covered it up in the storm, but it does seem a bit silly. It's, um, yeah, definitely doesn't work as well or feel as horrific. But, um, yeah, the next couple of episodes, it does go down a bit. I think the um, the scenes on in New York with Stephen, sorry, with um, Peter Purvis doing the um, American accent and... <laughs> talking about how the Daleks are from Hollywood and all that, and no, I'm from Alabama, not Earth, <laughs> and all that. It's a bit ridiculous, but hey, thank goodness they got him, because if they hadn't got him for that bit, they wouldn't have presumably got him for companion later. So, I mean, I can forgive it because he's a brilliant companion, and so it led there, which is for the best. But for me, the parts I love of the story come more towards the end. I think the horror haunted house episode is a brilliant twist, and the whole way... They don't know what they're like. The Daleks can't get upstairs. They lampshade it. And then later you see them upstairs anyway. Or um, all the horror monsters. And then the reveal that it's just some carnival in the distant future of 1996 or whatever it was. It's, yeah, it's a brilliant episode. And I think it's one of the better parts of the story. But, yeah, the last couple of episodes are probably my favourite part. The um, atmosphere on Mechanus is such an interesting setting. And they... Yeah, I I don't really I can't really pinpoint what makes it so good, but I definitely enjoy that episode more than the earlier ones. And um, yeah, especially Stephen gets a brilliant introduction, and they handle him really well, and just develop him right from the start. And that's good because he's got a tough job coming up to do, living up to being the replacement to not just Ian but Barbara. They both leave at the same time, and he's left to fill their shoes and. Peter Purvis does a brilliant job of it, but he's got a hard job there, and I think they did a great job starting with him. But, yeah, for me, the um, the part with the um, duplicate Doctor, I think they handle it surprisingly well. I mean, it's obviously never going to work properly, and if, if they'd had the budget and could have cut the film whenever they needed and could have had both Doctors look like the Doctor, then it would have been a lot better. But I think they did very well with the standards they have for the time. But, yeah, it's hilarious when the Daleks are like, Success! Paramount success! It is completely indistinguishable from the original, and yet it looks, sounds, and acts nothing like the first Doctor. So I like to imagine that when Stephen Moffat wrote Twice Upon a Time, he also said, Success! Paramount success! It's indistinguishable from the original! Because, yeah, it wasn't. (laughs) At least the Daleks have an excuse. They don't sort of know what humans are... Or humanoids alike, they they've got an excuse for making their mistake at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
that we we've had many sort of Hartnell duplicates throughout the years, haven't we? I suppose. Um, I. Uh, just going to go back to something Greg mentioned before, actually, which was, um, you know, how how does that that bit at the very end where Ian and Barbara leave and um, it, there's that emotional impact on the Doctor and it bleeds through to the time meddler. I really like how we join the time meddler and the Doctor oh, sort of very... Can I actually say one more thing that you've just reminded me, I meant to mention it, but I nearly forgot... That Go ahead. last scene is so brilliant that they get back home and it's William Hartnell plays it so well how horrified and upset he is that they're going and because, of course, he as an actor was sorry that his friends and fellow cast members were going and he didn't want them to go. So I think it really lined up well that the character was feeling the same as the actor and so he could really enhance his performance with that and just seeing them get back home and be so happy and overjoyed to be back and worrying about the two years they've missed, it's... Really good, and I love the fact that the um, bus intendant guy asks them about, where have you been, the moon? And they're like, no, but you're getting close. I mean, considering at the start of the show, the Doctor's like, they can't let anyone know where they've been, and yet they get back home and they say that jokingly. It's, it just shows how the show's changed and, you know, how things have developed, and it's so nice that they get the chance to be back and that they can just relax and joke about it almost and the other thing I like with their departure is the bit where they're arguing with the doctor and trying to convince him to let them go and Barbara has this line about oh we've loved traveling with you it'll probably be the most exciting part of my life and just the fact that she says probably really works well for me I mean it's like Barbara's such an incredible character and so is Ian and they're like you know we've had this amazing experience, but that doesn't mean our lives are over. You know, we've got more to do. Who knows what we'll go through. And I just think it's so lovely that she says it'll be probably the best time. Like, yeah, I think that just really speaks to her optimism and just her confidence in herself and where things can go from here. So that's something I absolutely love. It's, I mean, it's a fantastically handled departure. Uh, It really is. And it's, it's the last well-handled companion departure for quite some time, I think. I don't think a companion gets a sort of good send-off until Fury from the Deep now when Victoria leaves. Um, what we get from this point onwards seems to be very hurried, very rushed. Um, but obviously we'll, we'll talk about that as we move forward in seasons. Um, so I, I really like the fact that the sort of emotion with the Doctor sort of bleeds through to the Time Meddler as well. Um, the very first scene of the Time Meddler in the TARDIS is the Doctor's very reflective and moody and he's, you know, he, he genuinely does feel regret and upset that Ian and Barbara have, have left him, even though he always knew it was an inevitability. Um, and it's it's the first of just many, many great scenes in a great story. I mean, we've already agreed that the Time Meddler is a, a season highlight for the three of us, really. Um, I'll let you talk about it first, though, Greg. Time Meddler. There's so much to like about this story. Um, the character work, just in general, is fantastic. Obviously, like you said, the start with the first Doctor, you know, reflective over the departure of Ian and Barbara, with Vicky there to comfort him about it. It's it's very well done. Like the 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 chemistry between those two actors in that scene is fantastic. Um, 
Then they introduce Stephen as a companion. And what I find interesting is sort of how Stephen is almost juxtaposed against Ian. When we first see Ian in the TARDIS in An Earthly Child, he's obviously the, it is bigger on the inside than the outside, but he's still dismissive of the idea that it's a, a space traveling machine. He's dismissive of the idea that it's a time machine and he needs a little bit of convincing. And here we see a good chunk of the story is spent convincing Stephen of the same thing. Now, the difference is Stephen is from the future and Stephen is a space pilot. So he's fully willing to believe it's a space machine. But the idea that it's a time machine, that's too much for him. And that's that's the thing he needs to be convinced of. It. He should probably have been convinced earlier in the story than he was. But nonetheless, um, that's... That's a, a nice bit of characterization and a great way to introduce him to TARDIS travel. Um, I mentioned this in the intro, but the fact that this story really blows open Doctor Who, the monk is a Time Lord. Now, of course, we don't call them Time Lords at this point, but the monk is one of the Doctor's people. The monk has a TARDIS. The episode three cliffhanger is one of the best in the show's history. Like, I can't even imagine what it was like to watch this at the time and to suddenly come to the realization that the Doctor isn't alone, that there's other people like him traveling out there in the universe, and that not all of them are as altruistic as he is. Um, and Peter Butterworth, as the, as the monk, is, is fantastic. Like him and Hartnell have just this amazing on-screen relationship where they're both just having a delightful time. The other thing I really like about the Time Meddler is that it, it introduces what's going to be the format of Doctor Who for the next few years. We're down from three companions to two. This is basically what we're going to see for all of season three, a good chunk of season four, and all of seasons five and six, the Doctor and two companions. And we've gotten away from the first couple seasons where the first episode is just the Doctor and the companions by themselves exploring a new environment. Here, they land, the Doctor realizes where and when they are, and they go their separate ways and, and look around. And, and that's how the show is going to operate from here on. And so until we get to the Pertwee era. So th this is really a definitional story as well as being a really good one. I have nothing but good things to say about the Time Meddler. It is, to my mind, the best Hartnell story. Uh, that's definitely not something I'd disagree with. It's, it's up there. There's one other Hartnell story which kind of does stand out for me um which is the final story in season three the war machines so i'll shut up about it now we can talk about that another time but uh, the time meddler is absolutely excellent it's it just plays to all of the strengths that the series has kind of displayed so far it's not over ambitious it it, it picks a historical setting the series at this point very obviously does historical that better than it does um, sci-fi from a production point of view. Um, the characters are strong and believable. And the villagers are likable. The monk is an utter bastard, um, but he's having so much fun while doing it. Um, you, you can understand why the master became such a popular character because it's it, it's another time-travelling villain that just, for a lot of the time, just has fun, just enjoys 
making other people's lives miserable or bettering their own life or whatever the plot of the week is. Um, but yeah, the monk's excellent. That cliffhanger where I think it's the end of part one where the doctor ends up in uh, walking into a trap and the monk just comes along and has a little giggle. I just think it's fantastic. And um, it's I can understand why the monk became a returning villain. But again, we'll talk about that when we talk about season three. Um, yeah, it, it's a story I've just got so much time for. Um, it, it, it can be dark. It can be light and funny. Um, you've got some absolutely brilliant lines throughout. I mean, Space Helmet for a Cow is iconic. It is it's just ridiculous, but it's brilliant. Um, Jimmy, your thoughts on the Time Meddler? It's absolutely my favourite Hartnell story on TV and by quite a good margin. It's so brilliant and handles everything so well. I um, just love, at the start, the way they open up with the sort of recap of the chase and just how much the Doctor's changed in such a short time. At the end of the chase, when Vicky's trying to persuade him to let Barbara in and go, he's like, oh, and don't you want to go with them? But at the start of the time, he's like, oh, actually, are you sure you didn't want to go with them? Like, I didn't really give you much of a chance. And just the fact that he cares about her enough to give her the opportunity, even though he clearly doesn't want to and he'd clearly be heartbroken again. It's lovely that he does that. And then Stephen gets his brilliant introduction and the way he doesn't trust things. It's so lovely. The whole, that's a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry and, you know, do stop bothering me. And talking about, you know, TARDIS, T-A-R-D-I-S. This is what it stands for. Oh, okay, it'd be. I don't believe it. I mean, he gets such a great introduction and the dynamic between him and Vicky is... Just brilliant. I love this TARDIS team. And yeah, I mean, Barbara and Ian are my favourite companions of the series, not just of the Hartnell era, but of the whole of Doctor Who. And yet my favourite story is the one after they left. And I think that says something about the quality of this story, that it managed to not just cope with their loss, but to make it a virtue. I mean, the way the Doctor still clearly misses them, the bit where he gets into the village and he has that bit about, oh, Barbara would have loved this. And yeah, it's just so great seeing this new dynamic develop, and especially at the end of the story, the way they put it, like, oh, I'm looking forward to being a crew member on a time machine, and Vicky's like, ha, huh, you'll be lucky, he's the crew, and he, Doctor's just like, yes, and you're both very welcome. It's just such a lovely dynamic, and yeah, this story really does a brilliant job of establishing it, and yeah, the monk, such an excellent villain, and the fact that he's not actually entirely evil is just such a nice thing, like, I love the fact that, you know, when the injured um, villager comes in, he's like, oh, okay, like, he's very reluctant and huffy about having to help, but he still does it. I mean, he's still not going to let some innocent person die. He's, you know, his whole thing about history changing, he does have the line about, oh, it's more fun my way, but at the same time, he says, oh, um, which whichever king it was, not William, Harold. Harold would have been a great king, I know. Like, he's cha he's not changing things just for the fun of it as much as he is having fun with it. He's changing things because he genuinely believes it would be better, and that's, that makes him a more interesting villain, I think, than if he'd just been like, yeah, I'm having fun destroying history, woo! But instead he's like, no, I, I care about things, I want to make things better, but, you know, it's interesting to see that dynamic in him that, you know, half of him's about fun and half of him's about changing things for the better, and... It's just interesting to see, you know, the monk's got a TARDIS is such a great cliffhanger. Like, the one thing that frustrates me about it is when fandom are like, oh, there's another Time Lord for the first time. And I'm like, excuse me, did you forget Susan? But the first 
other other time lord he yeah he's a brilliant character and i think they really do a good job introducing him and the other thing with this story is that mostly it it's got such a good tone between the humor and the darkness like on the humor side you've got the whole space helmet for a cow and that and the doctor tricking the monk and all that it's brilliant but at the same time you've got the darkness like we've said earlier about marinus and the Romans about the way Barbara's, you know, near sexual assault was handled and, you know, they both did it in different ways. And But here, when you get the tribeswoman and the Vikings come for her and you just cut just as they're about to attack her and then the next thing you see her, she's, like, catatonic with horror. She's just, you know, visually traumatised, depressed, distressed. It's And yet... Uh, wow, it's just so powerfully handled. Like, you wouldn't expect this from Doctor Who today, let alone Doctor Who in the middle of the 60s. But, yeah, it's a really powerful moment and really played seriously and darkly. And it's horrifying to see. And yet, at the same time, we see she recovers later and she's happy to help the Doctor defeat the Vikings. And, like, she's, you know, she's taking her trauma and doing something with it. She's like, I'm not going to let this happen to anyone else. And she's just practically leading the assault on the monastery with the Vikings. She's not just going to sit back and let them defend her or honour or whatever. She's going to get in there and protect herself. And I think she's one of the great guest characters of the era and that her story is handled so well. Uh, yeah, I agree. She's an incredibly sort of strong and memorable character and that's again one of the very very darkest scenes in all of Doctor Who is there's very very few to rival that um so season two is I think it's fair to say a little less a little less consistent a little less solid than season one it it, it does have more stories that just don't they're not bad stories they just don't quite work the, the, the show maybe gets a little bit too ambitious for its own good. Uh, one thing that is sort of nicely consistent throughout, though, and it's something we did talk about when we talked about season one, is the Doctor's development as a character, and we've mentioned it a few times here, but let's just sum it up a bit at the end. Um, the Doctor as a character really, really does develop and change throughout this series. Um, this is mostly brought on, I'd say, by people leaving him and that sort of thing but we're definitely not looking at the same angry old kidnapper that we saw in an unearthly child so let's talk about the doctor's character for a little bit greg you go first you know i i'm going to disagree a little bit with that contention i don't i think by the time the dalek invasion of earth is finished and we get into the rescue i think at that point we've pretty much defined the first doctor's character um at, of course there are moments of development i mean we talked extensively about ian and barbara's departure in the chase and how that affected him and so on but but the fact that the doctor was strongly attached to the two of them is not a is not a surprise it's not a piece of character you know, development per se. It's a natural consequence of something we've already known about him. Um, the characterization of the Doctor in this season is night and day from season one, but I think once we hit the rescue, he's he's pretty consistent. He's He's now this... He's still an explorer, but he has this very fun 
amused attitude towards things. Like Hartnell giggles constantly throughout this season, and it, I, I love it personally. But you know that that's really become his characterization. You know that that he occasionally has moments of irritation and moments of anger, but the the distant morally questionable character we often saw in season one that's that's pretty much gone here and i think now is the time when he really starts to feel what we would later call doctor-ish uh, yes I, I i absolutely see what you mean um and there are like you mentioned the giggling i i honestly couldn't imagine a giggling hartnell in an unearthly child but the time meddler has that absolutely fantastic scene where the doctor just sort of sits there with a cup of mead and sort of uh, works out exactly where he is in history and he's so pleased with himself just sitting there going oh it's a lovely evening and i've got a glass of wine and i'm just being a bit of a smart ass really um it, it's it's just a lovely little moment and it's it, it is nice to see this sort of giggly light-hearted first doctor which has definitely sort of come along like you say, since um, perhaps the rescue, end of Dalek Invasion of Earth, the rescue, uh, he does actually seem to be enjoying his travels a little more, um, perhaps because he's no longer got the responsibility of Susan. I don't know. Um, Jimmy, what are your thoughts? I think definitely over his whole leader, the Doctor changed for the better. And yeah, as Greg said, the bulk of the characterisation change sort of happens as Susan leaves, but... I wouldn't argue that the character development was complete then, just that it's, you know, the the large bulk of it was done, but there's still gradual change as the rest of his era goes on. And I think Barbara and Ian leaving is a big part of that because, you know, for the whole first season, they've sort of been, you know, pushing him in the right direction, pushing him to be a hero, and they've sort of been responsible for that development. And he has changed, but you could argue it's, yes, it's because of them, it's because of their influence. And so them leaving could have been a blow to that. It could have set him back, but seeing him without them and that he's still the man that they made him be, that's the sort of pinpoint that, um, for me, shows that, yeah, their, their development wasn't just them being a good influence. They've, they've actually changed who he is at his core and he's going to continue to be this changed man even though they're gone. So that's why the time medal does feel like a huge step to me personally. And yeah, I think it's just a great dynamic that he has now that they're gone, that they, their influence hasn't been forgotten. They're a part of who he is and they always will be. He would never have been the same doctor he was if, you know, he'd fixed the TARDIS day earlier and left with Susan and never met Barbara and Ian. I mean, the character is completely different and yeah, I think the influence they had on him is huge and undeniable and it's great to see that it continues to be a part of him after the event once they're gone. Absolutely. Um, well, that was a very long discussion about season two, but I thoroughly enjoyed talking about it. It is it is a great little season. It's, it's confident, experimental Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who's still finding its feet, but I think it's fair to say, and as we've sort of suggested before, by the time we reach the Time Meddler, and you know, the Time Meddler is an example of this, it's definitely sort of found its format, it's found its strengths, it knows what to play to by the end of this season. Um, so in some ways it's a shame that by the time we hit season three there are 
production issues, there's Hartnell's health deteriorating, there's sort of factors that maybe stop um, all of the great work that happened throughout this season kind of coming to fruition and being developed further. But that is something we'll talk about another time. Uh, But for now, um, thank you very much, both of you, for joining me. I have thoroughly enjoyed discussing Season 2 with you. Um, So I will say goodbye to Greg. Bye-bye. And I will say goodbye to Jimmy. Thanks. Goodbye. And it's been a pleasure working on this, and I'm looking forward to the next season. I'm definitely looking forward to Season 3. We'll see you soon.